Fonz, how are you? Hey, what's up, man? I'm doing well. Yeah, oh, this, this is really good tasty. beer. This is pretty tasty. Something easy. Some easy ale. Lagunitas. Uh, I'll tell you what's going to be something easy. It's going to be this pilot. <laughs> yeah. The pilot number 81. All right. Dude. And uh, it's going to be a cool show. We got a, a very special guest. Uh, he's an awesome dude. Part of the reason why I asked him to come out on the show, uh, he's just the type of guy that, he's good time guy. Good time guy. Always a smile on his face. Do you get that a lot? Do you always have a smile on your face? Not really. Or have I not seen a monster side <laughs> you? You haven't seen me at work. Okay. <laughs> JJ, how's it going? I'm great. Thanks for having me, guys. Oh, JJ Angler, writer, producer, um, man of many trades in the showbiz world. Startupper. Startupper, tech startupper. Tech director. Start- director. This show. You got the errs going. All the errs. <laughs> this show is so awesome because it's a combination of so many things that I am a fan of that I don't understand. Like I love movies. I don't know a lick about producing. Um, I know how, I know about reading, but I don't know how to write. That's why I'm in podcasting. No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> but the writing process of a show. We're uh, behind the camera, not I, never in front of it, right? Yeah, well, exactly. Um, yeah. You know, and we even got... tech. I, I love tech stuff. I don't know how a lot of that stuff's made. So I'm really excited to have you on. I want to pick your brain on a lot of things. And uh, I know I'm going to learn a lot too. JJ, let's let's just start the show. Tell our audience exactly what a producer does. Yeah, so that's a good question. Uh, my grandma asked me every time I'm back home, <laughs> what do you actually do? Uh, I think producing is very similar to owning a business. So um, writers come to me with an idea and I take that idea and I see it all the way through production. Um, so I get that, I take the idea, I find the crew, I find the locations, I put together the budget. Um, and I supervise the production process. Then we go into post-production process. And then I work with the editors, the colorists, the composers, the sound designers, the best VFX artists. And then we bring it all together. And then we start to sell it. And then we talk with sales agents, foreign and domestic. Um, and I supervise that entire process. I hire all the team. And we work together to bring that idea into a final product. Wow. Wow. And at that at, at- no point in there. You're like, ah, I'm tired of this. I'm done. <laughs> yeah. It's too much work. <laughs> yeah. That's what it feels like. Oh my gosh. That's and let's let's just add marathon uh, man at work to the to your, to your several titles. Yeah. And these things take like uh, my last feature film took a year and a half. Oh you my know? gosh. You know, so I usually do about two to three at the same time. Oh god. So it. you have to know a lot of people. I know a lot of people. I actually hire about four hundred people a year. Wow. Yeah. I have a database, a personal database, of about a thousand filmmakers. In L.A. Damn, that's a lot of people. <laughs> you know, a lot of people. Yeah. Now you know one more. I got two more, actually. <laughs> there you two go. Two more, man. Yeah, there's two more right here. Well, one you, well, you know him forever. One huh? you might not want to know. <laughs> um, you're a producer, a writer, and you've created a bunch of projects. You've uh, co-directed a new movie that has a release date, but it's somewhat launched. You were explaining to me before we uh, roll tape here. Uh, tell us a little about the film. So Faith, Hope, and Love is a faith-based film, uh, and we have put together an incredible cast. Um, it's a story about uh, a man and a woman falling in love through the course of dance and entering a dance competition together. Um, we're, um, we starred um, Peter Murgatroyd um, from Dancing with the Stars. She was our lead actress, um, and then we had a lot of other great actors. Uh, one of my favorites was Kramer from Seinfeld. We had him in oh, there. Oh, wow. That's awesome. <laughs> Corbin Bernstein and Ed Asner. Um, who was the grandpa and up. Yeah. And so we had a lot of great people in that movie and it was a real treat to produce and uh, co-direct that movie. Uh, you, you don't see it now, but I'm right there. Oh, oh there he <laughs> yeah, is. Yeah, there he is. Yeah. And you know, this that's right my here. second movie I've done with that Asner, actually. Oh, no way. Yeah. He's, oh, he's a cool guy. He's hilarious, actually. Yeah. He just makes jokes all day. <laughs> <laughs> he's getting old these days, but he's still got he's it. He's still got it. Yeah. That's awesome. And I got the Corbin Bernstein right here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm, wearing, I'm rocking the Major League uh, movie hat. Uh, that's, that's incredible. How will how one get to see it? Yeah, so that's a great question. So last, uh, well, t- about two weeks ago, we premiered in Los Angeles. We had a screening at LA Live. About 700 people showed up. It was a phenomenal screening. We had a great great um, result, great turnout, and uh, people loved it. So now we're talking with foreign and domestic sales agents to sell it. And so this process is pretty tedious because we could sell the rights a hundred different ways. So we can sell the domestic rights to um, cable television, and then we can also sell it theatrically. Then we can also sell it straight to VOD. Then we could sell it to Netflix, etc. And then we can go and also sell it to Italy, 
theatrical. And then Romania, DVD, et cetera, all over the world. So we could just, it takes so a long time. you need like a sales team just for this one movie. Yeah, and as part of a producer, we also supervise this process as well. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So it's a never-ending job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even when, we, when the movie's finished and people are watching it, we're still selling it. <laughs> <laughs> what, um... When's when's it out? When when's it out to? Oh, you guys don't know yet, right? Well, we oh. don't know yet because we're still selling it. We're speaking with companies like Spotlight, um, and um, we don't know the release date yet because we're still speaking with a lot of sales agents. Um, but we uh, aim to have it available in November two thousand eighteen. Gotcha. Sweet. That's a that's a that's a strong cast, by the way. Yeah, I mean, we uh, spent six months casting that film, and we put out at least thirty offers for our lead talent. Um, we uh, auditioned over 50 actors for the lead talent as well. And so um, it took a long time to get those actors, but luckily we came together with a phenomenal cast. Um, but one of the hardest things on that project is it's a small movie. It's an indie film. And um, little details like wardrobe, for example, like our lead character had 40 different wardrobe changes alone. And wow. we shot that film in 12 days. So oh, that wow. means we were shooting about 10 minutes a day, right? So to, that's about, I don't know the math, but that's at least three to four wardrobe changes a day for just the lead actress. And then the supporting had 22 wardrobe changes. And then we had over 30 speaking roles. And then we had over 14 locations in 12 days. This is around the clock. Wow. This is around the clock. So you know we had to find all those people. We had to find all the locations. We had to schedule the logistics of all this. And as a producer, this is a lot of what you're doing. And also just small things like dietary restrictions. Like you got to figure out what these people can eat, what they can eat. Uh, the sizes for all the wardrobe, all that kind of stuff goes into producing. Did you eat? Not really. <laughs> Usually on productions, I lose about five pounds. Well, I'm, I'm so I'm so in awe. Like you had poor Ed Ashner changing his trousers forty times in twelve days. <laughs> no, Ed wasn't the one changing that. It, okay. That one was P.I. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. Ed was wasn't like, changing no trousers. Let me tell you. No, not you. I'm saying he had to change. Like yeah. he had to change no. in a wardrobe. No, he wasn't. Times. I think he does whatever he wants yeah. to do. He shows <laughs> up and then he's good with whatever he shows up at this day. Peter's a dancer. She'll change clothes like. 10 times in like five yeah. minutes and on different was, numbers. She was phenomenal, actually. This was her first film um, and first transition from the dancing to acting world. And she was just... Nailed uh, it. Breathtaking. Yeah, she was... Not only that, but she's so authentic and such a genuine, amazing person. Um, she's just a great person. We're lucky to have her. Yeah. So it, um, because it's a faith-based film, is it a little bit harder to sell? Or have you had different things like come up or because, because of that? Uh, actually, no, quite the opposite. It's uh, pretty niche-based, uh, or niche-based. It's pretty niche-based. So uh, there's, a, there's a Christian market out there, and it's a pretty large one, and they're looking for these kind of films. Um, we're a little bit different because there's no real Christian, Christian films with dancing uh, like we have, or like a rom-com dance faith-based film is what we call wow, us. Wow, that's awesome. Which is Foot, crazy. Footloose that's a mouthful ruined right that, dude. Yeah. Footloose ruined that. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a mouthful for sure, but... Um, We've had a lot of interest so far, and it's looking good. And That's you're not all. a faith-based producer. That's this has been your journey. Like you, you get offered these projects, and right. you, you get interested in them, and then you don't. I adapt to each one, and it's. I actually you're a think chameleon, that, man. Yeah, I think that I bring actually the the general appeal to it. So my partner is a very faith-based, but I make sure that I still appeals to the general audience because we still want them as well. Yeah. So I I make sure there's a balance in there, and it's not just hitting you over the head with the Bible. Right. <laughs> That's awesome. So I want to talk a little bit uh, before that, like more about your writing and producing, but how did you know you wanted to be a writer-producer? When I was really young, I always wanted to invent things. And uh, as I got older, I realized I'm, I'm not good at math and I don't like engineering, so I don't know how I'm going to invent things. And then I was re watching a movie one day, an uh, old movie called Seven with Will Smith. Oh, yeah. Um, and I just felt so many emotions from that movie. And I was like, well, if I become a writer, then I can invent things and make other people feel these emotions and bring positive change in that way. And so I started writing. Awesome. So, so Seven was the one that, that triggered Seven it? Seven did yeah. it. Will Smith. Yeah. Nice. Um, is there like other movies? Like, can you watch a movie without thinking of the behind the scenes stuff? I can, but it's hard. It's, it's really, really hard when I immediately leave production. Like if I'm in production on a film and I watch something at home that same day or a week later, I can't even like really look at it because I'm thinking about everything else that goes into that film. But if I have a separation <laughs> from production, 
then it's a little bit easier. Um, but, you know, it's just like uh, people know their craft or, or chefs know their food and stuff like that. It's just a similar feeling. So what movie is like the hardest one for you to watch? Like you're always, or like, like a favorite, like a favorite movie of yours. Inception. I freaking love Inception and Christopher Nolan in in general. Uh Oh. Yeah. I actually recently got to see him uh, at the Q&A for uh, Dunkirk, his latest film. Yeah. Went to Warner Brothers to watch that with him in the audience. So I'm guessing he's your like favorite? Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. He's a great (laughs) filmmaker and yeah, I I can go on a lot with him. (laughs) I want to talk about you where it seems like nowadays there's, there's, there's outlets for everyone to kind of express themselves on video. Um, everyone wants to be a writer or producer. Uh, what was, what was the biggest or what was the moment with you where you had to make the biggest commitment where you were like, all right, I'm, I'm diving in. This is what I'm going to be doing full time. Yeah. So, um, I was one of those kids in high school where I thought, you know, I was the captain of the hockey team and I thought, oh, schools are just going to come after me because I'm, I'm good at hockey. You know, even though I was a C student. I'm JJ, yeah. captain of the hockey yeah, team. Yeah, I nice thought, to meet you. exactly. <laughs> you know, and so junior, like end of junior year comes around and all my friends have acceptance letters from universities and I'm like, where the hell is mine? I don't got one. <laughs> and so I'm like, what is up? And so actually I completely changed everything around end of junior year. Um, I started senior year and from then on the rest of my college and high school and academic career I was a straight A student every step of the way um, and, and where, but, where was this I'm sorry that was in Rochester New York but um, fortunately I took the late path so I had to work twice as hard as my peers and so from high school I had to go to community college um, and I wanted to go to a community college um, close to some kind of film industry and it was also kind of my way of saying okay well I'm accepting defeat by going to a community college so I'm going to go to an really awesome community college <laughs> and make the most of it. Yeah. That's the way to do it. Yeah. So I went to Santa Barbara. Woo, Santa Barbara that's not City roughing college. it, JJ. That's not <laughs> no, roughing it, man. And I lived the dream there. Um, but when uh, before I went to Santa Barbara, that was the biggest choice I made. So um, my parents weren't paying for anything, so I had to pay for it all myself. So um, They supported I, you? Were they like, go for it? They supported me um, mentally and yeah, emotionally yeah. and everything. But right. Uh, financially it was on me so yeah. I was like yeah. guys I, I need to move somewhere where there's a film industry and they said okay well pay for it and I said okay and I worked that summer as a roofer and I roofed the whole summer and I saved up and then I just got in my car and drove to California sweet nice. how, how long did that, that take you about 56 hours Ooh. I drove with one of my best friends and um, we drove to California and the day I arrived in California I did not know a single person in the entire state <laughs> Six months. Wait, you, that's when you got to Santa Barbara. That's when I got to Santa Sometimes Barbara. Sometimes you get lost because uh, there's no. It's not a grid. Yeah, that's true. But you know, I got Google Maps. And there you go. Okay. That's all okay. Good. But um, and then six months later, uh, after arriving, I was the president of that college, um, which I really liked because I was also running against a lot of local people that had huge French groups and networks and everything. And I remember the day of the election, I was down by hundreds of votes, maybe even thousand. And I told myself I was not leaving the campus until I was in, in the lead. And so I spent the entire day there, maybe like 18 hours, and I just asked every single person on that school campus to vote, and I ended up winning. And it was a phenomenal feeling, actually. <laughs> and you're like, shit got deep. Dude, I was <laughs> not taking no for an answer. Yeah, but it was actually, it was, um, yeah. you know, at the same time, the day I found out that I won the presidency, I also got accepted into USC. And oh, no USC way. USC was my dream school. And that's the reason why I moved to Santa Barbara. And I'm like, shoot, what do I do? You know, and, and so I ended up deciding to postpone USC so I can continue to be the president and get that experience. President um, of the film department or no, president the of the school? school like eight, okay, student body. Got yeah. it, got it. Yeah, which is wow, actually man. really interesting wow. because I got to help hire the actual president of the college there in that time. So I sat on a 20-person committee to hire the next president of the college. I was on the financial committees for the school, looking over a $100 million budget with them. Um, and I was on many other committees and running a lot of groups and organizations on campus, developing great skills. That, oh, sounds, yeah. like, like, that sounds like right next to like the producing part of, of yeah. what you were doing, right? Yeah, I mean, and I think that's how I kind of became a producer because I always wanted to be a writer-director. But then I developed these business senses, and it just led me down that producing path because it was second nature to me, really. Yeah. But before you left... Rochester, did you have a, a garbage plate? 
Of course. All right. It's a garbage plate. Oh, you got to tell Walter about the garbage plate. Tell us. So garbage plates are one of the hometown traditions where you have a a couple of cheeseburgers and you put uh, french fries on top and then you put like a ground meat hot. Have you ever heard of meat hot? So it's like a hot sauce that's with uh, ground beef and it's all mixed together. And then you have potato salad and mac salad and all on top of that. And you just put it together in this one plate. And you go to town and it's like it's like 3,000 calories, but it's amazing. Beautiful. Yes. We used to get it after school. After school? Yeah. Oh, wow. Growing up, that would be one of the... You're playing so, hockey. Yeah. It's fine. You're yeah. playing hockey. So, so when, when, if, I, if I'm driving by, where, where do I go for one of those? What's the best spot? Yeah. And we used to call it IHOTS. So Iranicoid Hots in, in Iranicoid where I grew up. Uh, but now it's uh, Bill Grace. Have you guys heard of Bill Grace? No. no. Uh, Bill Grace is another thing. Have you guys heard of Abbott's? Abbott's Ice Cream? No. It's a, this delicious custard ice, ice cream. cream. Uh, it's like the best custard ice cream you can ever get. I'm actually going back to New York on way. Sunday. Out in that way. Oh, and so, oh, make sure you post some on, on Instagram. Yeah. Take a picture of that. There you go. Yeah. Wow, man. Or bring yeah. some over. I don't Those care. are like two of my favorite things in <laughs> yeah. the world. Yep. Ice cream and burgers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got to see. There's there's a there's a food truck here called the Garbage Truck. Mm-hmm. And they, they, they make the That's garbage plate. Make. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, anyway, have you tried that? that? Have you tried that? I, I haven't tried the garbage truck yet. No. He's like, he doesn't want to be disappointed. <laughs> but I actually heard that those owners moved from our area. Oh, no way. So I think it's respectable. Oh, nice. Yeah. Now, but the water in, in Southern California, would it be cleaner or worse? Oh, the water Rochester? here is terrible. Okay. So you might not get the same effect. You're it might right. Be like the bagel. Yeah. Like bagel I, I can't even drink tap water here. I don't like, but in Rochester, <laughs> I only drink tap water. Oh, nice. I love tap water. Rochester. Yeah. It's crazy. I bet. Yeah. Yeah. I was in, I, I spent about four years in Salt Lake and tap water. Same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. The tap water. <laughs> I had tap water in Iceland and that was Ooh. like the best. Oh tap my water gosh! Ever. Yeah, that's yeah. amazing. Like out of a boot, I bet. No, no, out of the uh, the the faucet from the restroom, bro. I had I had that. Oh, that. Damn. It was so good. It's almost savage status, but it's <laughs> not because it's Iceland. Iceland. It's Iceland. <laughs> <laughs> you have pictures of me just like tilting my head, drinking from there. It's it's really good. So Dude, tap I got, water, I got awesome. So many questions to ask you, uh, but I want to get this in before we go into break. Uh, tell us about Industry Jump. Yeah, so Industry Jump is my baby. Uh, I've been working on it the last year and a half. I uh, came up with an idea, and it's my first transition into the tech world. Uh, once I came up with that idea, I had no clue what to do with it. I didn't know any developers. I didn't know what kind of development it needed. I didn't know anything. Uh, and so I had to do a ton of research. Uh, and so we started off with surveys. So I came up with the idea, and I surveyed about 200 filmmakers. And they said it was a great idea. So then I put together visual mockups and I showed them what the idea would look like. And again, they said it was a really good idea. And I was like, okay, well, this is good. So then I put together video mockups because this is all stuff I knew how to do. And they're like, yes, make this. When is this available? And then I'm like, oh, okay, how much is this going to cost? And I thought it was going to initially cost like five to 10 grand, like a WordPress website or whatnot. Um, and pff, man, I was wrong. Like 10 times that, 20 times that. Um, and so <laughs> we've since then we spent over 5,000 hours developing. We have three full-time engineers offshore. We have a full-time engineer in Silicon Valley. Uh, we have an ex-Google product development guy as our COO. And we have a viral film influencer, Jacob Owens, as our CMO. Jacob's an incredible asset to the team. He has over 100 million YouTube views on his channel. And he has over 700, 750,000 subscribers. Um, wow. So by him coming on board, it was huge. But also, I've been producing a lot of Jacob's content for the last couple of years. So our collaboration was pretty natural. Um, so Industry Jump is a service marketplace for filmmakers to find, hire, and pay each other. So right now, if I'm looking for a crew in Louisiana, I don't know anyone. Um, typically, the way I hire is through my network and asking my network if they know of anyone. It's all word of mouth. It's all referrals. There's no real online database. And if there is some kind of database, it's not really trusted. Trusted enough to hire them blindly or to trust them with this job. So one of the biggest things that we did with Industry Jump is provided a lot of verification tools so you can trust that hire and trust that he's going to show up on the job on the day. Um, and so I think we battled a lot of the same problems that Airbnb did in the similar in the early days because Airbnb, think about it, you had to rent out your home to a stranger. You know, like that's huge trust issues. 
Um, and similar to with hiring, you are trusting that this person with a huge opportunity, you need them to show up. You got a lot of people writing on, on exactly. this one particular right. group of people it's to show up. It's a very collaborative effort and you need everyone to be there. And so one of the things we've done with this is we've created verified reviews. So it's filmmakers have a, can create a page on Industry Jump and it's kind of like their central profile page, similar to Yelp in a way where other filmmakers can leave them reviews. Um, and then you can also see that filmmakers hire history, the portfolio pieces, the IMDb page, the resume, um, and much more. It's all connected together and really easy and streamlined within a database. To so build can, trust for the... To build for, trust for and to allow filmmakers to easily find, connect, and discover each other. Another problem that we have is talented filmmakers go without work each day only because of people they don't know. So one of the things we're really doing is helping people get discovered because talented people should be working. Yeah. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Oh my and, and I was untalented people I'm working super over digging fonts. the logo. I, I love <laughs> that logo. It it looks like the J is pushing up the I, which is like me or you know, it just yeah. it's really, really cool. I, I, I was am, digging it. Look at this one that I just put together. Um I like this one most. Yeah. Oh nice. Yeah. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah. I I was I went to the website and again, like I'm so ignorant on, on a lot of these things. But it really did make it like it's even got this like flashing uh, prompter on like whatever. Um, for. Yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever kind of duty you're looking for. It's like that's where you type it. That's your budget, and uh, where are you? Right. And it kind of, it kind of holds your hand, and you can You have to forget what I imagine is very similar with podcasting is with how much podcasting has evolved. You still have to hold people's hands to get them to understand what a podcast is, and once once they know like, how to find it. So I imagine there's a lot of incredible minds in uh, movie making, but getting into the IT stuff. Yeah, you know the film industry, even though it has a huge amount of tech advancements with cameras and like eight K technology and whatnot. Um, historically, the the foundation of the organization and the operations of film production is really really far behind. Um, I mean, when I go to staff up, so for example, um, I produced the music video for Warren G. We had, I had, yeah. I had a week to produce that video. A week? A week. And within <laughs> that week, I hired, had to hire 30 filmmakers. Wait, did Warren G say so? Was he like, I need a week. No, <laughs> that's just how it goes. You know, the, Hurry up, bro. <laughs> hurry up. Bro. I've produced a music video in 48 hours before. Were what? you tempted to get Michael McDonald to come out and, no. and do <laughs> no. a feature, yeah. just but, to poke his head in. No, but it's crazy like that. You like you know that is bananas. Yeah, I mean like there was a fifty thousand dollar music video in forty eight hours. I had to hire thirty five people in forty eight hours, and that's like, you know, it's really tough. And so uh, when you have to rely on your network, and the way it works right now is I have to manually text message or email those thirty five people, tell oh. them all the details, tell them check their availability, tell them everything. And then they say yes or no. If they say no, I keep going. And it's just a never-ending process. So everyone says, yeah, that's a lot of work. Yeah, well... And I imagine that never goes that way. Yeah, exactly. But think about it like this. If everyone says yes, I'm like, great. Here's all the information. Give me all of your information. Now I'm going to put into spreadsheets and everything so we can disseminate it through all the crew. So I need your emails, your phone numbers, your dietary restrictions, etc. And then we can then keep going from there. Wow. And then your employment paperwork, your invoices, your W-9s, etc., so there's a huge amount of information that you need to do when hiring and bringing these people onto your crew that we actually automate with industry job. What a pain in the ass those what? that are in 48 allergic. hours. You did all that. Hours. Yep. Wow. That that was actually for Tyga that music video. Oh okay. no way. Yeah. I was gonna say what a pain in the ass those people who are allergic to peanuts. <laughs> oh yeah, and the dietary restrictions. No, I'm you know, just joking. I'm just joking. You know, I was <laughs> deathly allergic to peanuts my entire life. <laughs> But not anymore. Oh. Yeah, I, see what happened. See what happened. Producing. Yeah. So when we come War back, when we come back, we got to ask about the Warren G. Stuff. Warren G. Oh my gosh, uh, uh, JJ, thanks so much for coming on. JJ Engler, writer, producer, awesome guy, and uh, wait a minute, now you're going to be directing? Directing. 
Um, let's talk. I want you to tell us about that. But we we finished. We went into break talking about Warren G. Tell us that story. Yeah. So uh, first, he's actually a great guy. Uh, we were in Venice, and I was driving him around, and he was in the back seat smoking a joint, singing to his own songs as we drove through. <laughs> oh, nice. And his songs were just on the radio. So it was, oh no way! Oh he yeah, didn't, he didn't ask. He didn't like, ask for it to put on. It just came on the radio. How do you get to driving him around in the first place? That's what happens, you know. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, so that was the first day we were on Venice Boulevard, and um, and everyone was just crowding around him, and we made this video. The second day we were in Long Beach, we had no permits or anything. We're like, Warren, what should we do? He's like, uh, Long Beach is my city. We're good. And so I'm like, okay. <laughs> I run the city. It kind of is. That's so, good. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, where do we pull up? And he goes, you go pull up this area. So we pull up this area, and it's really like, I forgot the name of the street, but it was really, really. Like sh- shady? Shady, yeah. Okay. And uh, I was like, Warren, we need like 30 extras for this, this scene. He's like, oh, don't worry. Just go to the local store and get about 20 pounds of chicken. <laughs> And we're like, uh, okay. So I sent one of my assistants to get 20 pounds of chicken at the local store. Um, and he's in the RV just smoking it out, right? Yeah. And we're, and cops pull up and he's like, and they're like, what are you guys doing? And we're like, oh, we're here with Warren G. And they're like, oh, you're with Warren G. And I was, we're like, yeah. He's like, all right, well, I'll, I'll patrol the neighborhood for you guys. No like, way. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> and hey, uh, not even like, well, let's see him. Like, yeah, they yeah. straight up believed you. Yeah, yeah. And so, People start coming knocking on the RV and they're like, hey, who's that? And we're like, it's Warren G. And they're like, no way, it's Warren G. And so in about 30 minutes, the entire neighborhood knew that Warren G was there. Oh, wow. And so they started crowding around and Warren G started passing out chicken. And people started rolling up their barbecues in the front of the lawn and just started chick- cooking that chicken all day. <laughs> and so for, like in the next hour, we have like a barbecue like block party going on and everyone is out cooking and like eating that. chicken like just that. like that <laughs> and that's just how it went down and so um we had this police that are just patrolling for us and everyone's cooking chicken and sipping and drinking and um we were in the middle of the street with about 30 people and he's rapping to his latest song at the time it was called my house um and we had a actually a really great awesome day and no trouble at all or anything like that it was everyone kind of united and we actually even filmed a, a church scene. It was Sunday morning. Oh, no we way. walked into a church, and the choir of the church even volunteered to be part of the video. Oh, wow. And they came out, too. We, <laughs> we united the whole neighborhood that oh, day. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was crazy. Even more respect to Warren G. Oh, dude, we love Warren G. <laughs> yeah, he, we love and Warren. you for facilitating that, man. He's a good yeah. dude. He's a good dude, talented musician. Uh, we had a great time. And, uh, you know, that was one of the smoother music videos. Uh, music videos are not always smooth. There's a, there's a lot of rough <laughs> patches along the way. You've done a handful. You've done a couple of music videos, right? I've done many music videos. In 2016, I did over 20 of them. Oh, wow. And uh, it's tough stuff, but you get to meet a lot of great people. I remember the... F- so when I was growing up, actually, I followed this one band called Time Flies. From like 16 to like 20. Religiously, I followed them. And then uh, two years ago, they hit me up and like, hey, can you produce a video for us? No way. And oh, like, wow. Oh, shit. Uh, and so, um, I actually, the day of the video that we had to produce it was my wife's birthday, so that didn't work out too well. But oh. I did it anyways, and uh, I got to meet them and just chill with them and just hung with them for the day. Um, and it's really uh, inspiring, uh, a little trippy, um, and just really cool to uh, be able to um, hang out with people that you looked up to for so long, that you've aspired to, and that you just really enjoy the music and their talents and just be able to hang out with them as like normal people. And uh, it was an incredible day. And even when I listen to the music now, I'm just always remember that day. I'm like, it's cool. That was pretty cool. cool. Kind of surreal, right? Surreal. What's the name of the band? Time Flies. Are they an East Coast band? They were an East Coast band and now they're pretty popular. Time Flies. All yeah, right. Time yeah, Flies. Yeah. Me not knowing has nothing to do with them being popular or not. I don't know a lot of things yeah, these no, days. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I asked. I'm like, all right, straight to Spotify. Yeah. I was uh, on a previous podcast. I was. I'm definitely late to the boat on reggae, and I was like name dropping dudes that were out like for 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty late. <laughs> a little pretty late. late. A little late on yeah. that. What, what's up with this? Uh, so I was watching. I was trying to do my homework on you, right? Thank you. So what is? Uh, uh, I'm not sure if we get buff nerd. Yeah. Buff Nerds. What's that? So um, Buff Nerds is the name of the YouTube channel that my partner Jake Bowens owns. Oh, okay. Um, so Jacob is part of Industry Jump, and I've been producing his content for many years now. Um, and they make a lot of music videos. They make a lot of different content. 
Uh, they have over 750,000 subscribers on YouTube, over 100 million views. Uh, Jacob is a phenomenal guy. One of the hardest working dudes I've ever met in my life. That dude, we will be on set for 12 hours, and I'll wake up the next morning, and he'll have a full video edited for us, and he just spent the whole night working on it. Like, he's one of those dudes where, oh, wow. wow. He, he's a self-made man. Um, he's a millionaire by 25. He already owns three homes. Um, he's an incredible dude. Just always working, huh? Always working, great attitude, great work ethic, um, incredible friend, and um, so glad to have him on the industry jump team. Yeah. You gotta hand it to guys like that, man. They're not gonna say no for an answer. Yeah. If they can breathe, then they can do something about yeah. whatever they're looking to pursue. Yeah. Totally. I mean, he's he's an incredible guy and a good person to look up to. Well, like I said, there's a lot of there's a lot of listeners that love movies that don't understand the role of like how it goes from an idea into being on the big screen. So how the heck does a movie let's just pick a random movie? Christmas with the Karoonses. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Can you explain how that goes from an idea to to being on the big screen? And then, but that was an indie film, but I imagine they share a lot of similarities, like a big feature film, yeah. right? You know, indie films, I think, may even be just as hard as bigger films because we're working on such a tight budget. You know, for oh, yeah. Christmas with the Karoonses, yeah. I actually produced and co-directed that film during their junior year of my college and uh, at film school. Um, and we did that movie on $80,000. And that might seem like a lot of money, but it's really pennies um, and it barely any money. And we actually were able to turn that around and sell it internationally and domestically. Um, so we were able to make um, an incredible movie from that small amount of uh, budget that we had. But it was really tough. Um, you know, so I was working with the writer and co-director, Bob Krantz at the time, who is a faith-based creator. He sells a lot of items in the faith-based community. Um, and he came to me with the idea and the script. Uh, from there, I uh, broke down the script, found all the assets and elements that we needed to um, find and produce and create. Uh, and then I found team members to produce and create all of those elements from art department to makeup to wardrobe to gaffers to electricians. And then we needed to source all the equipment, the cameras, the lighting, all that wow. kind of stuff. And then we needed to go in and look for locations. We scouted many, many locations and we needed a good amount of locations for that film. So we went and we found locations and we needed to work on permitting and insuring uh, those locations. Then we had to work on casting the film with actors and we had at least 10 to 15 casting days in LA where we saw hundreds of actors during that time. Uh, and then we had to work with the unions to work with them. Uh, and then finally it was time to rehearse and bring everyone together and bring all the elements together. And um, again, there was another independent film so we shot about 10 pages a day um, in contrast, for, for the listeners out there, normal studio films shoot about three-eighths to seven-eighths of a page a day. Wow. We were shooting ten pages a day. <laughs> I was going to ask you, it, I'm glad you mentioned that, how does one share their vision? Like, whoever creates this idea for the movie, is it through, um, is it through literature? Is it through conversation? Is it, like, uh, even, like, storyboarding um yeah it's a great question so initially the vision is concepted by the writer and then once the directors come on board the directors work with the writer to talk about the vision to talk about how they want to bring it to life from there the directors take over and they monitor the vision of the project so that point like what does he do does he just have, does he put one arm around you and it puts his hand like into the horizon and says do you see this do you no, see this jj not quite like that so <laughs> that's one of my roles on the films is also on top of producing his interpret interpret the and vision. so every single scene every single element has to be part of that story and it has to further that character and that journey and it has to bring emotion and um, um importance to that film so you know i i'm a big um, believer on all the small details and so when you're looking and setting up a frame to film for a movie uh, you're looking at everything in that frame. Every single little piece of detail is part of the story that you're using to uh, progress the story and the, uh, the the characters. And so it's really tough, especially producing and directing at the same time of maintaining that creative um, ability and then going and writing all the paychecks at the end of the day. You know, so <laughs> and it's really that. tough. And there's that. Yeah, and organizing food and catering and logistics oh, and turnaround man. times. And but you delegate some of that, right? We tell delegate, yeah. But um, you know, on independent films, you don't have a lot oh, of money yeah, to a bunch pay of a lot of assistance. So you wear a lot of hats, yeah. So 
where did you cut corners or how, how does, like, what did you, this is my question. What did you wish you knew before you got into this? Like, what can someone young coming up from your experience now, what do you wish that they knew to become a filmmaker, to be successful in this? Yeah, so I actually get this question a lot these days because of my industry jump community. Um, and I'm always trying to help our members get to the next step and next level of their career. And there's a couple of things that I did early on as a filmmaker that kind of made me into who I am today. The first thing was I worked for free for many hours. Um, I didn't know anyone in uh, California. I didn't know anyone in the film industry. And so I had to establish a network of my own. The way I did that was I worked for free and I busted my butt for many hours. Um, summer breaks. Uh, summer break before I went to film school, I filmed two feature films as a second assistant director. During each week of those feature films, I was working about 15-hour days, six days a week, um, busting my butt every, busting my butt every way I could. So an incredible amount of effort and hard work and free labor went into establishing myself as a filmmaker and establishing my network. And um, it's unfortunate that you need to work that much for free to get there. But during that time, I was able to not only learn a lot, but I was able to establish a huge network that I still work with today. Um, so what I say is never be afraid to work for free, but you need to know the limit. You can't work for free for a year. You can't work for free on many projects with the same person. I always say work for free on one project with one producer, do the best job you can, and then say the next project I need to get paid, and then go work with a new producer on another project for free, and you do that as much as possible. I try to work with 10 to 15 different film networks each year, meaning one film network is not making a film, meaning one film network is usually always making a film but the other nine are in between films. And so I need at least 10 to 15 networks to keep a steady paycheck of people. So I have a huge network and uh, friend and uh, people that I work with in Los Angeles to make sure that I'm always busy um, because filmmaking is such a long and tedious process that you can't always be making films or commercials or music videos. So you need to work with so many different groups of people to maintain being busy. So it's really important for people to get out there, to work, to get that experience, but to establish many different networks. Um, you shouldn't rely on one producer for all of your jobs because if that producer ends up dry at the end of the day, then so do you. So you need to diversify yourself similar to how you would with investments, um, but with your network. So um, I'm a big believer in hard work, diversifying your network. Um, you know, film school is great, but it's not necessary. Um, just like most jobs, I think you can learn a lot on the job and on site. And as long as you have a great attitude um, and you're working hard, that's the biggest thing. Um, some filmmakers um, kind of take the right approach and they'll work for free, but then they'll show up and do a really bad job. And that doesn't do any good either. You know, if you're going right, to work for right. free, you need to show up and do a really good job and then I'll hire you again. Yeah. So it's that you, you got to come up with it and then follow through. It's kind of counterintuitive right where you think um and i don't mean this in a bad way but like just loyalty like you think like all right i'm gonna do the best i can for this one person you know that's kind of what, what you think is what you should do but you really don't want to do that yeah and that's one of the hard things about being an independent filmmaker is you have to spread yourself pretty thin most of the time because you're working on so many projects at once um you know typically as a producer i'm usually in between five projects at a time and they're either in pre-production, production, or post-production, and I'm supervising or maintaining that process every step of the way. Um, and actually, one thing that I want to quickly say is um, filmmakers um, and producers, they get into it to make films. But at the end of the day, it's also a small business. And so for these projects, um, my company, my production company, has to front $50,000 for a couple of weeks, or they have to um, you know, do the bookkeeping for $50,000. They have to pay out those contractors maintain those labor and uh, employment contracts and, and rights and all that kind of stuff and know those agreements of how long you can work people and whatnot. And so there's an incredible amount of knowledge that you need to have as a producer um, and just a small business owner to be successful that you usually don't learn in film school. And it's really tough. And so one of the things we're doing with Industry Jump is we're automating the bookkeeping, we're automating the payments, and we're automating the 1099 reporting for independent contractors in the year. Because we think it's important for filmmakers to film, and so we can take care of all the busy work that goes behind that. Oh, wow. That's incredible. Yeah. It's, 
it's so tough as a filmmaker and as a producer. You know, even without your own company, you're still an independent contractor, and you need to uh, make sure you're um, filing all your paychecks at the end of the year, doing your taxes and all that kind of stuff. It's very complicated stuff that no one really learns or is taught that you kind of got to pick up on the fly. And so um, it's also important to learn that at an early age. Well, wow, that's incredible. That's like... That's you don't you don't learn that a lot of times from a textbook. No. Talking about things that are kind of off the wall, what are some awful things that have happened on the set? Yeah. Like things that you're not prepared for. Right? Like what kind of yeah. fires have you put some out? Nightmares. Some nightmares. Show business. Some bad stuff. <laughs> I think I am the best. Uh, if you would say what am I? I am the best person at solving problems. Like at the end of the day, Mr. Wolf. I am a problem Mr. solver. And <laughs> anything in all aspects of life, that's what producing has made me is a problem solver, and that's essentially what it is. Um, so there was a million fires that we've had to put out. Um, there was one in particular that I want to talk about today. So I was producing an independent feature film called Salt and Sea through my company, Collapse Studios. And we were out in the desert in Salt and Sea filming this film. We shot it for 15 days and we had to bring the entire crew out to Salt and Sea. We were all living under one roof at a huge Airbnb rental. Um, as a producer, I uh, slept in the RV that we rented. We rented the RV um, because we also wanted... Well, first, let me set the context. It was 110 degrees in Salton Sea. And for those of you who don't know, Salton Sea, uh, the sea smells like shit. Um, <laughs> especially when it gets that bad, it smells like rotten eggs. Um, and the Rotten ar- shit. Rotten shit. <laughs> and, um, and the RV air conditioner can get you about 15 degrees below what the weather is outside. So we were looking at about 95 degrees inside the mm. RV, best case scenario. So as a producer, I had to worry about... Uh, crew dehydration, um, all that kind of stuff, um, extra like sun exposure, etc. But um, so I, as the lead producer, I was taking care of the RV as well. And while you're using the RV on a daily basis, you also need to flush the toilets and all that kind of stuff that goes with the RVs. So I was doing that. So each night after we wrapped, I'd bring it to a septic system and I'd flush out all the shit that everyone had throughout the day. Can I say shit? Yeah. You can say whatever you want, man. So uh, the glorious job of producing, every night I was flushing everyone's shit um, until uh, later in the show, we were at a church and we were filming an outdoor church scene, right? Um, And our actors were in the RV using it for hair and makeup and getting ready for the scene. And I'm inside talking to the pastor, thanking him for letting us use his church. And I'm talking to all the kids. And I come outside and I see that the RV is just leaking shit into the parking lot uncontrollably. And it's just pouring out. (laughs) At at the same time, I have my lead actors, who are pretty big actors, walking on the other side of the RV outside. And they don't see this yet. You're like catching it from afar. I'm catching it from afar. After I just thank the priest for letting us film there. (laughs) And so I run to the RV. You just took a shit in their parking lot. (laughs) Yeah. But it was just pouring out. It's like 50 gallons of shit just pouring out. (laughs) And so I yell over my microphone to escort the talent away immediately and I take the RV and I'm driving but the shit's still going as I'm driving so I'm blah, 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 so the blah, shit's blah. just getting all throughout their parking lot and onto the nearby city streets where are you driving it to? I don't know anywhere I could get away from there out of public eye I'm surprised you just didn't keep driving you're still driving now no. yeah, I'm surprised you didn't say like Padre help me out man <laughs> As Can you bless this shit? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, go no, away. So That's I, terrible. Sorry. I go to a local street, right? And I need to find the nearest dump site. And this time, it's still pouring out. But I don't, I'm trying to find where the nearest dump site is. And I don't have service on my phone. Oh. And I'm just holding my phone up in the air. Just, please, God, give me service. <laughs> so I can stop pouring shit all over the place. <laughs> I finally get service. And I find this place. And I pull up to it. Right? And I pull up to this septic place and I'm still leaking shit. As oh, I you found up. a place. I found a place. Okay, wait, I'm wait. still leaking. I pull up to this old trailer complex and they have a septic dump system, right? Okay. So sweet. I pull up hot. I pull, like, I pull up hot. <laughs> leaking <laughs> shit, right? Hot mess. And I, and I roll out and I start running to the office and this old little lady stops me and she's like, hey, what's going on? I was like, hey, I need a dump. And she's like, okay, let me help you. And she starts walking through the door. And she's walking so slow. Oh. And this whole time she's walking, I'm trying to walk in front of her so she doesn't see that I'm dumping shit all over her driveway. Yeah. And at the same time, she's walking so slow. I'm like, walk faster so I don't dump more shit all over your driveway. <laughs> and so it was this struggle of not letting her see that I am irresponsibly dumping all this stuff that I can't control. Yeah. Um, and so it was a shit show. 
<laughs> it's a shit show. Literally. A shit show of the salt and sea. You know, people think producing is glamorous and whatnot, but it's like those responsibilities that come on to you at the end of the day of like, how are you going to take care of this? Like, I've never gone camping. I don't know how to take flush septic systems and RVs and stuff. I had to learn, you know. And, and who else so, is going to do it, right? Yeah, but at exactly. the end of the day, it's your responsibility. It. It's my right? responsibility. And so that's one of the responsibilities you take on as a producer is you, can, you have to make sure that those 30 people you brought <laughs> to the desert come back alive. <laughs> and that same RV later that day got stuck in the desert at night on like the sand. And we had to, with our grip truck, pull it out of the sand. So we had to, that night, um, go under the RV and put like big rocks. Oh, and then so I you can get grip. Exactly. And then I had to attach, um, uh, what are those, uh, f- those big like ropes uh, with the straps, ratchet straps oh, uh-huh. to our grip truck. And we had to simultaneously pull it out and give that safe too. And, oh, wow. and I also led that too. So it's like, you just need to be a problem solver in every aspect of life. And you just need to, like, on the way to Salton Sea, the pitcher car that we rented, so we rented this old, like, 90s pitcher car. So a pitcher car is a movie, a, a car that's in a movie. On the way to Salton Sea the day before, Breaks down. we needed to film that pitcher car. It broke down the side of the highway <laughs> about 200 miles away from where we needed to oh, be. Oh, man. And we needed to film that car the next day, no if, ands, or but. Are you the, I hope you didn't go for one scene. No, no, was no. We went, we went for, like, five or six days. Okay, okay. Uh, but that car was paramount. We needed that car. And actually, the the director was driving that car because we had such short personnel. And the director's phone died on the side of the road with that car oh. while we were all driving up there. So we not only had Lovely. to find this broken down car, but we needed to find the director. <laughs> and so it's things like that you can never anticipate of like, what is this? Like, <laughs> why am I problem solving 24-7? And it's crazy. Um, and then you're like, let me get back to my normal work. Yeah, like, let me just, no, just let me be by myself and like, just, ah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know so it's stressful but it got done it got Mission done everything got done it's you have an amazing movie. story now but yep. yeah it's one of many uh, thankful to experience you you make great friends in the progress it's a huge collaborative effort and medium and uh, we came out with an incredible result um, that not a lot of people could have done for that budget so it's 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 a pride thing I'm very happy with it but man it is hard work <laughs> <laughs> so, where do people find you online yeah, so yeah. or in general, where do they find you? Uh, Instagram, Facebook. You can uh, message me through Industry Jump customer service. These days, it's a short staff, so I'm maintaining that twenty four seven customer service uh, front. Um, it's a busy life these days, um, but very fortunate. Um, one of the coolest things about launching this um, tech company, Industry Jump, is uh, first we're nationwide, so we have users in forty five states. But second, we have a huge international presence as well. We have people all over the world that are looking to get on the platform. We haven't opened it up to the world yet, but we're going to. Um, but we've gotten hundreds of comments from people saying, thank you. It's about time someone's done this. You're really helping my career. You're helping my life. And uh, you know, I've worked so much, so hard on this platform, risked a lot of money, invested in done crazy amount of work. And so when you get those comments as a creator, um, it validates it all. You know, you don't think you're crazy after all. Um, you know, during the development process, it's very long. There's many, many months where people just don't see what you're doing or you're just hoping to God that what you're doing works. Um, and so once you come out of that process and you see it working and people loving it, similar to a movie, there's no greater feeling. Right on, man, right on. Uh, just one more thing. Is there anything that we forgot or like to add before we end the show? Um, daily schedule. I'm gonna throw it in there quick. Yeah. What's your daily schedule? Oh yeah. my god, I have to imagine. Because uh, you you sound hour super by the busy. hour is too too broad. Yeah. Like so what? to the minute probably. Um, I wake up at 7 a.m. every day, and okay. that is our sweet spot for posting on social media for multiple companies that I manage. So 7 a.m. Pacific. Yep. Are you paying attention? Well, we gotta I do. Am. We gotta I'm, do that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So we. So not whatever time you feel like. No, 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 it's all scheduled. <laughs> yeah, it's it's and it's we've tested That's it with awesome. traction and everything. Thank you. Yes. So seven a.m. Pacific time is when we get so our good. best reception, and so each day we feature a new member. So uh, seven a.m. to about eight a.m. I work on social media postings, and then uh, each morning I review the developers' work. So we have twenty four seven development happening right now. So when I go to sleep, I have two developers working all night. So when I wake up for 8 a.m. to 9 or 10 a.m., I review their work, check in with them, ask their questions and whatnot. And then about 10 a.m. to uh, 
2 p.m. Uh, I begin working on my own. I reach out to new partnerships, contracts, etc. I manage the existing projects that I have, and I try to eat two meals. Um, come 1 o'clock, 1.30, I'm at the gym. Uh, I'm on a strict workout reg- regimen, so I do about an hour and a half in the gym. And so that's my time to unwind and rebuild my concentration for the second half of the day. Um, I get home about 3 o'clock. Uh, I have a protein shake, another meal, and I work hard until till 7. My wife comes home at 7. We hang out until about 8.30, and then my developers log on that night, and I work with them for about 8.30 to 10 o'clock answering their questions, and then I go to sleep. Can you go to sleep? Like, do you uh, fall asleep pretty well? Um, these days I do because I'm just so exhausted, um, but normally I will wake up to like messages from developers and whatnot, and it's really tough because if you don't have the answers to their questions, they just stop working, and you don't want to halt their progress, so you're, since we do 24-7 development, it's really tough to always have those questions and material ready for them at 24-7 notice. Uh, so development's been tough. We've been doing that for at least nine months now. So that's been my schedule. Uh, when I'm in production on films and stuff, it's even more crazy. Um, so it's everything actually um, is scheduled in my life. My meal times, my uh, work times, I wear very similar wardrobe attire. So when I go to the gym each day, I wear this. I have 10 copies of the same outfit that I just wear. <laughs> and so I don't have to make decisions. Oh, so you're there. not stinky like me. Yeah. When I go to the so, gym. so I God, do that. God, yours is clean. <laughs> yeah. Damn it. So I streamline as many decisions as possible. I just remove like any extra like, decisions that I need to make of like food or whatnot. I just stock up and I just have a regimen. I just do it every day so I can keep my decision making power on important things um, and not waste it on like what clothes I'm going to wear and what so food I'm going to eat. So the more you do, the more you can do. Exactly. It's a great yeah. philosophy on, yeah. on how to stay fresh and creative, right? Like, don't be creative on this other stuff that you right. don't need to be. Right. Let's save it for. Uh, that sounds right. like other that stuff. sounds like complete CEO type stuff, right there. That's <laughs> and, what and all CEOs are arguing like. like Honey, what do you want to eat today? Whatever you want. Well, what do you want to eat? Yes. Yeah, no, 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 no. There's no time for that. Do that. <laughs> no, no. And that ju- that kills too much. You yeah. Know? yeah. And yeah, I'm yeah, just yeah. like, I'm. If she says that, I'm like, Let's okay, go. I'm having this. You can join me or not. Yeah. yeah. Because that, that's the decision. I don't got that time. I don't got what? that time. And so I make a lot of decisions like that. So. Uh, JJ, thanks so much for your time. Cheers, brother. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Thank you for having me on the podcast today. It was wonderful to meet both of you in more detail. I can't. I cannot tell you how um, appreciative we are for you to spend your time. Um, maximum respect in on all accounts from your from your work to the way you carry yourself. Um, you're an incredible dude, man. Thank you. Um, Appreciate it, man. W- we wish you success in the future and uh, keep on doing the do, man. JJ Engler, he makes movies. Thank you. Don't skip leg day. <laughs> <laughs>